Thank you, Rob. Good morning, everyone. Okay, maybe like a halfway good morning there, like a better one. Good morning. Good. Sound off like you mean it. How about that? There you go. Let me uh, officially welcome you here to Restoration Church, whether you are sitting here in our pew-like looking children's seats or online viewing us right now. We're really glad to have you in any capacity and in any form. I'm Pastor Anthony, and I want to just share a couple of quick things about today, where we've been, and, and sort of where we're heading. We're going to uh, continue in the same vein that we began about a month ago in or at the Cracker Creek. It's a very intentional strategy in why we're trying to do uh, what we're doing the way we're doing it. And so what I want to say at the outset here is that this concept of being simple or modest or really taking the time to analyze what a church is and isn't, what a church is and is not doing, God has given us a, uh, a wonderful opportunity in the midst of a very difficult season of life in the world to not just think about who we are as a church, but to really rethink in many ways some of the, some of the places and the faces and the names and the, the locales of where we serve. There's a, an incredible opportunity that is before us. And so what we decided to do is to use, at least for, for a short season, and there's a, a purpose in this, is to use this time that we have on Sundays when we have some of our church here and some of them sitting in their living rooms right now. Um, I'm sure a couple of people have become Buddhists over the past seven months. There's no doubt about that. You know, the, the world is very different right now. And so we uh, don't want to act like it's not different for us, even the church. No institution Nothing on this planet has gone without some form of disruption over the past six months. And so we wanted to capitalize on that and do some things that are maybe even a little bit unique to, um, to our body. And so this morning, what we're going to do is I'm obviously going to be teaching, but it's going to have somewhat of a discussional vein to it, simply meaning we, we want some interaction here. And the point of this is that we get a little bit used to this, maybe even accustomed to it. And what I mean by that is there will come a day when things are more normal. I can't predict the future, so who knows what, what it looks like. But more normal in the sense that I might be up here giving you a 35 to 40 minute uh, teaching each Sunday, and then you go home and do your thing. But even if that is the case, one of the, uh, one of the strong points of our church has always been that we engage issues, serious issues, critical issues, where we're not afraid to really discuss anything anywhere. And so we want to create some spaces in the worship gathering where people can actually in, engage. And there's a few strategic points today that I will uh, throw out to you. And certainly uh, for folks that are watching online, like we said last week, if you have questions or anything that you would like to discuss, we would love for you to just put that on our feed and we can do our best to sort of incorporate that into what we are uh, discussing. And so if you're here today for the first time, we're very glad to have you. I want you to know that on your benches, you will find uh, song sheets, which you've mostly found already, and then connection cards. Those packets with the pens and that information card are important for you. And the reason for that is, is if uh, you need to be prayed for, something is going on in your life, uh, if you need support in an area, if you have questions about life or faith, uh, disagreements, oppositions towards life and faith, if there is a step, whatever it is, that you would like to take with Jesus, that is one of the best ways for you to let us know that, uh, just to drop a name and an email address or however you prefer to be communicated with. And we faithfully follow up in discreet and respectful ways throughout the week to do that. And the same is true online. You can uh, private message the office, email the office, call the office, do, do whatever you want to do. 
And we do everything with smoke fires. We don't have the capacity to, uh, to sort those out, okay? So today and over these next weeks, I thought it would actually be rather fitting at a time where, uh, for example, I was listening to a, a, uh, a newscast this week that had talked about the substantial disruption in higher level academia, essentially colleges. Hundreds have already gone out of, of business. They can no longer afford to do what they're doing. Uh, several, obviously, high-profile schools uh, begun meeting and then had to stop. They were really highlighting the fact that everybody's having to sort of think on their toes and maybe even rethink some things. And my point here is that this is, I think, a keen time, a really key and keen time for us to sit and discuss what it means to be the church. Like, why is it that we even decided to continue doing this? Why didn't uh, us and various other churches just sort of, you know, wrap it up, shut it down, uh, dwell permanently on the internet forever with 700 different pastors and quasi friends on Facebook who like your post but wouldn't lend you $5 if you needed it. Why, why is it that we would strive to, to rebuild some form of, of biblical church, one that is both gathered in an area like this and scattered in the sense that we are uh, a blessing through word and deed to our neighbors and our neighborhoods wherever we go. And so that is what I want to sort of discuss over the next weeks. And I want to ask you a very, it's a very simple, it's only four words, the question, but it is a very profound question. Not profound because it has anything to do with me, but profound because oftentimes the things in the, in the faith, they're, they're simple in one degree, to one degree. For example, Jesus says like, our faith in him should be like that of a child, a child who is uh, you know, happy, and when you're two or three years old, you have no idea what your parents are doing to provide for you. There's, there's this sort of state of, of healthy bliss that a child is in because they are unaware of how forces unseen are taking care of them. Very simple. Have the faith of a child uh, until you lose your job or you, you know, have uh, no more money in your account or nasty car wreck, you lose a loved one, you have some type of... Uh, of an uh, illness that somebody's struggling with, or you have a, a, an illness that obviously reshapes the world. Very simple to say, have the faith of a child, often very difficult to practice. And that same pretense is what I want to bring up today. And I want to ask a question. Here's our first interactive point. And you can feel free to say anything. Nothing is off the table here. I just ask that you don't curse or ask about aliens. As long as we stay away from those two things, we're in pretty good shape. Aliens are call for conversation, not for this morning, okay? My question is simple. Uh, we have given our lives, many of us, to Jesus. And I would like to know, since what we proclaim that we believe as Christians is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is the gospel? I want you to think about that for a minute, and I'm okay with silence. What is the gospel? How have you had it shared to you? How have you had it taught to you? How have you shared it with other people? Have you even heard it? All of these are okay and acceptable. There is no wrong uh, wrong comment here. What is the gospel? Word of God. Okay, the word of God. John three sixteen. Okay, God's love for the world. So here we have uh, here we have a, a a document that we believe is wholly inspired, the Bible, and here we have a message in that document. Right? Okay, one very particular that proclaims the love that God has for. Uh, the people of the world. What else? The teachings of our Lord and Savior. Okay, so connected to the gospel is, um, this might be, 
this is a, an incomplete word, but there is sort of a, a, a set of conduct or a set of values that go in tandem with the gospel or are in tandem with the gospel. For example, the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us to take the gospel to the nations, connected to that is that we actually teach and, and baptize. So it is, it is a message that maybe is as simple, right, as God loves the world, but also has some tangible elements to it that, that sort of give us a never-ending trajectory to grow in our faith. Is that a fair assessment? It's as simple for a child to know, but you'll spend the rest of your life growing in the goodness and the grace of Jesus if you really desire. Like you cannot run Christ. He's always ahead of you in where he's leading you. Great. What else? What is the gospel? Yes, it literally means the good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, and uh, that sounds like some Lord of the Rings elf, but it actually is a Greek word, and it means the good news. The literal definition of how we understand the good news in the New Testament is that what Jesus is and what he's done is it's like a, a frontline editorial, I mean, a frontline or front page paper that declares something incredibly good has happened. Okay, so here we narrow the scope to the nature, person, and work of Jesus. His, li his birth, his life, his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Excellent. Have you, have you heard anything contrary to some of these things? I'm curious before we, we move on. Have you, in your experience with Christianity, I, you know, I know many of you, not all of you, but uh, all of us have a faith journey at some point that we have connected to the Christian faith. Maybe today is your first day. I don't know, but my question is, have, have you ever been in an environment where you might have seen something that was presented as the gospel, but really wasn't the gospel? Like there was enough enough cognitive, emotional, and spiritual understanding, discernment in other words, to, to be able to say, this is being presented to me as if it is endorsed by Jesus, but it, it actually isn't. Yeah. Okay. Any, any examples of that? Okay. Okay, so here, I want to take this statement and, and zero it out a little bit. Here we're talking about central tenets of what the gospel is. Uh, and that's actually going to be an important thing to come back to. Uh, in other words, there's a, a very particular verse we're going to look at in a moment that talks about the central nature of what the gospel is. And I think what you have shared right now is a great example of how um, sometimes, whether it's a morality or a particular emphasis or a social movement or whatever it is, there are times where things can sort of subordinate uh, the gospel, or at least there's an attempt to subordinate the gospel. So it is possible to have things that are presented as, as good news or main, main thrusts of what the faith is about that are maybe not necessarily uh, true, okay? Now what else? Yes. Loving the example, according to the, <laughs> the 
up with the pastor's office and as he discussed and became an archdiocese, please not preach on Pence any longer. Yeah. We just beat those people up when they're here. <laughs> Not really, but I'd like to. So, uh, okay, so there you have, uh, this is sort of a connected idea, the prism of the gospel. There are several facets to it, and there is a partial truth in, in the fact that, you know, man is sinful, and we need the grace of Jesus. However, when, when you bluntly hammer people with that, disconnected, for example, from a John 3.16, the fact that God is also gracious and has not left us in that state. He's provided a way for us to move out of that, to, to be redeemed and restored, part of the story of Jesus. That's a perfect example of, of a portion of the gospel being emphasized so much that it, it almost completely nullifies the reality of what the, the whole gospel is. It's a great example of, of, somewhat ironically, it's true, but there's a comma after that, that declaration. What else? Anything else? Okay, so here on a positive note, God's forgiveness is endless. Uh, we know that this is true, obviously, um, in Jesus, and there's some morality connected to that, simply meaning there's, there's, it's not that God is not a God of grace and forgiveness, it's just that there's the idea behind this, uh, like Paul would say, well, because there's grace and it's abundant, should I, should I take advantage of that grace? Should I sin more? Absolutely not. In other words, I should be striving towards a, uh, a deeper level of love and understanding and followership of, of Jesus. It makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. so, um, and you can correct me if I'm misunderstanding here, but this, this is going to tie back to the value of autonomy we value as Americans. And I'm not saying that individualism is not a, a good thing, but it also, uh, it has a limit. It, it too has to be subjected to the gospel of Jesus. Jesus never, um, J Jesus is always in community. This is something we're gonna talk about in a couple of weeks. But the idea here of taking the gospel and sort of extracting it from the larger story of God in the scripture and the world really does, it's a very myopic way of understanding the work of who Jesus, uh, the work Jesus did and the nature of who, uh, who he is. So yes, it's incredibly important to understand that we, we do have this sort of connection with Christ on our own, but it is utterly connected, like both theologically, theologically you are connected immediately to the bigger story of the, the church. And by the church, I simply mean the men and women before this day and down the road that will follow Jesus. That, that is theologically what happens. Practically, you can, you can disconnect yourself from a church family. You can make the gospel all about you. You can eliminate Jesus from the gospel, which is a tragedy when you understand the depth and the beauty of the gospel. But it is, I would say, uh, this is more of a problem in the Western Hemisphere than it is in the Eastern Hemisphere, where communal understandings of faith actually create a different form of a, of a pressure cooker. So yes, autonomy, individualism, um, the you know, proverbial, it's all, it's all about me and, and Jesus, thank you for me. You know, what are those kinds of things? So, yes.
Okay, so there is, um, I like to say that the gospel is the most inclusive and exclusive statement Jesus ever made. Jesus declares that this is the truth, like that there is a, a way and it is, it is him. Um, that's an exclusive statement in the sense that he's, he's, really, he's really defining the road to God. Um, but I say it's also the most inclusive statement because any single person, there's no race, creed, color, ethic, there is nothing that can prohibit a person from actually walking down that road and being included in the family of God so long as they meet pers the person of Christ in the process. So uh, you are right. There is also a, a rough edge at times to the gospel for folks that, um, and this might even connect to some of the individual stuff we were just talking about. Maybe they have their own, their own methodology or their own theology or philosophy of, of how they think uh, they should be able to relate to God, his son, and the Holy Spirit. But those terms were set by God. Therefore, we, don't, we can interact with them. We can disobey them. We can follow them as imperfectly as we are. But non nonetheless, Jesus does say some hard things connected to the gospel. Um, right after those verses in John, there's, uh, there's some talk even of judgment, like that, that there's another side to this fence. It is not God's desire that that happen, but the reality is, is it, it can. If we live a life completely separated from Christ, not caring about him uh, or, or choosing to follow him, we, we really can find ourselves on the other side of, of the, the grace of God in the gospel. So I want, I want to share two things with you. Uh, first, I want to give you like a, I say technical definition. By technical, I simply mean th this is how we would explain the gospel, like if I was reading to you from a, a theology textbook, okay? It's a very practical statement, but nonetheless, it, it gives us what I would like to say is a working definition. And what you'll find is that everything you just said it's in some shape or fashion is going to be included in this. And then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians where Paul tells us something very particular about the, the nature of this gospel we're discussing right now. So this comes from the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms, and it says this, that the gospel, in brackets, good news, is, listen to this, the central message of the Christian faith to the world centered on God's provision of salvation for the world in Jesus Christ. And I want to read that one more time. Usually we have, like, a big screen and electronics and all that's coming. We're trying to figure that out. But because, because we don't have that, you're just going to have to have me and my voice repeating things twice. Process this with me. The central message of the Christian faith to the world centered on God's provision of salvation for the world in Jesus Christ. And so there almost every single thing that was just said is touched upon. There's a central nature to this message, right? It is rooted in the person of Jesus. Connected to that is that there's a there's an outcome. There is both relationship with Christ and salvation in Jesus. Um, it is meant for the, for the world. In other words, that this is a message that uh, God commands us to take to our neighbors and the nations. This is a really good, uh, if you needed a one-sentence definition of the gospel, uh, this is a good starting point. And keep in mind, this is a, a starting point. This is, where, this is where the ability to discuss and live out the gospel Begins. It doesn't end it at this declaration. It, it begins here. So I ask you another, another question. Since, since it's defined as central, I want to know, is it important that we recognize the gospel as a central message of our faith? And let me give you a, a sort of qualify, set of qualifying statements to hopefully clarify what I mean by this, because I want to be very practical in this next section of discussion. What are the benefits of believing the gospel this way? 
that, that there is a central message that, that is brought to us about the love and the grace of Jesus, that there is forgiveness from sin. What are the benefits of believing the gospel this way? And what are the potential dangers for a church or an individual Christian if something else becomes central to their faith? In other words, what is, what is the biblical and practical blessing of knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ and believing in it and following him? And what are the dangers of, of having like what Paul would call a form of godliness? There's some other central gospel that we believe is the gospel, um, but really isn't. It winds up becoming a bit of a distraction. What are the benefits of knowing the gospel, and what are the dangers of false forms of the gospel? Completely. So you, you went right for this, the foundation of the problem here, is that to modify this gospel essentially creates what I like to call the God complex, meaning we literally, how many of you have seen Indiana Jones? It's funny, like all the young kids with the beaver mops have not seen it. But, but the truth is, there's this one scene in Indiana Jones where, um, it, it's, it's my favorite scene, where he's grabbing like a really expensive piece of gold and he swaps this with like something that's the exact counterweight and he believes that he has you know essentially tricked the system but the truth is it only worked for like 30 seconds and then he had to like run out of that temple um, before he was killed by that big rolling ball and all the other things and this is literally what um, this is the way I like to view the human God complex is we we take something like something beautiful something good that is like pure and solid gold, the truth of Jesus. And, and we find something that we think has the equivalent weight and bearing. It looks pretty. We like it. And we try to swap that sucker out on that pedestal, thinking that that will satisfy us in a way that, that a true truth from God can. Like, and the truth is it, ne it, ne it never does. They are uh, shifty idols is the way that I like to describe this. They're, they're shifty gods. The, the luster of, of our idols, whatever they are, whatever we want to replace God's goodness and truth with and, and sit ourselves on his throne, those things ultimately disappoint. From the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation and everything going on in the middle of the Bible and in the world, this is the, the fundamental fault of, of what it means to be human is that we look to things or create systems or devise our own truths in ways that we think will satisfy us in a way that only Jesus can. And that, that sort of physical image of the idol swap is very profound for me because it, it looks good when you put it on the pedestal until you're being rolled over by like a 6,000-pound ball and all of your dreams and wishes and hopes and that false whatever it is fade. So that's excellent. What else? What are, what are some of the benefits of, of really knowing the central nature of what the gospel message is and what are some of the, the detriments and problems if we modify that, that message. Okay, so in case you didn't hear Sharon, our resident ninja today in the back, uh, she said that it is, it is solid, right? So the big books would say that these truths are immutable, just like God, they are unchanging. They are never, they don't go away, they don't change, they never end. There is a, uh, some of you have heard the old hymn, like, on Christ the solid rock I stand. The idea behind the message of the gospel is that it is a firm foundation that, that cannot be compromised. We can attempt to 
to sway it and change it. But the truth is, one of the old church fathers said the he was speaking of the church, um, which is a direct connection to the gospel. The gospel creates the church. It's a conversation for a couple of weeks down the road. But the church father said the, the church is an anvil that's worn out many a hammer. And the idea is true with the gospel. The gospel is it's an anvil. And many people have tried to beat it out of existence. But the truth is that it keeps going because it is the, it is the way God has chosen to work in our world right now through the, the person of Jesus when he walked the earth and now through us who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So there is a beautiful uh, sort of like never-ending reality that we stand on a firm piece of ground when we actually understand the truth of the gospel. That doesn't mean that it makes life perfect and easy and all our problems go away, but at the very least, we can know that we are rooted into something that is firm and unchanging, especially in a world that seems to be anything but firm and, and always changing. Sorry about that. I told you earlier, I have a hard time not talking with my hands, and so I probably need to wear gloves because I'm cutting myself banging this thing. But I want to read something to you that the Apostle writes in, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. If you have a Bible or a phone, or you just want to note this down. This is a really good verse. Uh, this is certainly not the only teaching in the Bible that discusses what the gospel is. But this is a, a critical one because it sort of takes a lot of what we've said, and it continues to refine it into a, a, a clear statement. So we just read that the, uh, the gospel is a central message of the Christian faith. It declares who Jesus is to the world. In, in it and through Jesus, we can find salvation. All these sort of statements we've discussed, I want you to listen to how Paul explains the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, there's that word gospel, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So Im immediately, like, the gospel is applied to every aspect of our faith. You have it's been taught, you have received it, you are standing in it, you were redeemed by it. Like the, the, one of the problems, let me cut Paul off for a moment, one of the problems with modern teachings on the gospel is that we've simply reduced it to, like, a, a, an entrance into heaven. And that's a significant thing that, we, that we, we have the ability to dwell with God and each other forever, okay? But the point of this is that some of us think we get the gospel and then we just move on from it. Like, we believe that truth and then we go on to deeper things. That's actually not what Paul says here. The, the truth is, is growing in Jesus is perpetually having a deeper understanding of what the gospel means. It is to the truth of Jesus we return for our morality. It's to the truth of Jesus we return for our, um, for our growth in him. When we suffer or are sad or are hurt, we don't, we don't sort of file the gospel on a shelf as something we learned a long time ago. We, we actually root ourselves in it. It has the power to redeem. It has the power to cause us to stand. It has the power to, to sort of hold us fast to the presence of God. So I would encourage you, if you've ever sort of grown up in an environment or heard a teaching where like the gospel was presented and then there was a period put on the end of that and you moved on to deeper things. That is not correct. The gospel is the deeper thing. It's learning to apply this to these other areas of our life. So he says, I'll repeat what he said since I completely cut Paul off. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, key statement, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I'll read it one more time, just in case you don't have the Bible with you. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What stands out there? What statements, phrases, words, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense? I'm curious, what, what is the initial sort of gut response you have when you when we take what we've talked about and then we, we root it in a passage of scripture uh, about a guy that has given his life to the gospel, uh, he's re- both received it and has committed his life to sharing it. Okay, so there, in, in this passage, there is a claim of veracity, a, a claim of truthfulness, right? The scriptures are mentioned, meaning there is an objective source of truth that Paul is referencing as he describes this gospel. And that is an important thing to note because it means there actually is a truth, not like one we can fuzz around and, and modify, but there is a truth, a God's truth. Yes? Okay, so two very important things. One is the fact that we're, there's a responsibility to the gospel, that we, we sort of attach ourselves to it, right? And in case you didn't believe me when I said a couple of minutes ago that the gospel should not be shelved, here he, the, your, Paul is proclaiming, and Rick, what you're saying is, is that we, we return to this. There is a never-ending presence of this gospel in our lives that not only allows us to be in relationship with Jesus, but it empowers every aspect of the Christian faith. It, it is the fuel, if you will, that drives the Christian life. And that is an extremely important thing to know because it removes from us, um, I like to say, it's not my term, but when you believe the gospel this way, you actually have the freedom to follow Christ um, with your whole heart and make mistakes knowing he still loves you. Um, However, if you have a gospel like the Pharisees taught, what happens is anytime you err or anytime there's an issue or a problem, you automatically think that God's love for you is a little bit less. God's love for you cannot change. Favor is a different story. In other words, we can do things in our lives where the favor of, of God might be removed from us. We see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what God desires is that we cling to this gospel and we grow in it. So it is a central tenet, not just of how we understand God and our faith, but of how we uh, physically live, spiritually live the Christian life. What else? Oh, one second. You are being saved. Yes. Yes. It is a growth, and Paul understood that, and we're virtually the best. It's a growth process. It is, and this is how I like to describe um, sanctification in the sense that the idea of of this perpetual returning to the authoritative truths of Jesus, it, it, it proclaims journey. It proclaims the fact that we don't, just, we don't just find Jesus and that's it. That has actually been, for the better part of 30 years, that's been like the battle cry, the strategy of the church is to, 
is to just sort of win people to faith. And I'm not opposed to winning people to faith. I'm just saying, I think for a lot of people, what happened is, is they, they then had faith and, and wondered what was next. And that's what's going on here. Paul uses this same, like, ING, this uh, participle language, in other books like Philippians, where he, he talks about the fact that God is always working in our lives in all ways and at all times, and that we should be thankful for that, okay? So absolutely, John, uh, the other John, John and John, <laughs> second John, <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's important to me because he, that, that, that verifies what he's saying to me. Okay, so the literal definition, which you mentioned earlier, of the gospel is it, it particularly narrows in on the life of Jesus. And it, it, this is sort of like a summary statement of the life of, of Christ. It is talking about the fact that Jesus came to earth. Uh, he came to earth for a specific reason, and the summary statement here is, is about the story of, of the cross. So the cross is the culminating work of God for, for re redemption, simply meaning it, it is to the cross now that we, that we look, okay? And the beauty of this is that it, it does. This, this is something that both, if, this is probably something that your hearts align with if you've wrestled with. But it's also something that people will have trouble with, that this gospel here is in accordance to the scriptures, not your scriptures or my scriptures, not my opinions or your opinions. We are certainly, I mean, I love as a church that we discuss these things. This is a, a, definitely a place where we, we welcome any, any kind of thought, but that's because we really do believe we have a, a firm grip on what the scriptures are. And so it does absolutely maybe go back to what I said earlier, that we have this sort of inclusive and exclusive idea. Inclusive meaning the gospel's for everyone. Exclusive simply meaning the gospel is what was just laid out here about who Jesus is and what, uh, and what he did. And that gospel, although we experienced it in the first century world as, as, a, as a, a human population, that gospel is pre-eternal, simply meaning this has always been the way God was going to do this because God knew before the foundations of the earth and before us, he knew that the transgressions of humanity uh, this, this is one of the things that blows me away about God is God knew that humanity would fail him and walk away from him. And in, in spite of that, and despite that, he, he continues on with this plan of building us and then knows the cost of what it'll take to actually have relationship with us. He's willing to put his son on the cross. And that, I think when you understand that part of the scripture, there is, maybe it's a hard edge, but it's not as pointed or sharp as it once was the first time we heard it, or maybe had some, some real rejection towards it. I'll give you another example, or another definition, we'll kick around. This is from somebody that I uh, really respect, his name is Tim Keller, pa uh, ex-pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He now writes and does all kinds of uh, great things. But he said, sort of like a shorthand def definition, is through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. And so what he says is that there's this, there's this point of sort of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And this is, if, if you need four headings to explain the, go the gospel, 
This is what, what we would call the story nature of the gospel. That's sort of how you can summarize it. There is this, this creation, there's us, there is the fall, there is re, uh, redemption in the sense that Jesus goes to the cross to mend the wrongs of the fall, and then there is the ultimate restoration upon Jesus' return when, when all things are made right and there is no such thing as sin anymore because he has finally put the heel of his power on the neck of the enemy and eradicated uh, evil and suffering and all of the problems from sin forever. It's a profound statement, I think. And here's how we'll wrap up today. What, when you think about your life, when you think about our church, when you think about the fact that we made a decision to, to start meeting again, uh, if you're sitting in your living room watching us, whatever it is, when we talk about this truth of central Im importance, okay, does it have implications on what we do, on who we are as people, on how we conduct ourselves or, or, or carry ourselves. Like, what would be the definition or an example of a Christian who is trying to live their life for Jesus or a church that's trying to, 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 to really reflect the gospel of grace accurately in the world? What are the kinds of questions that we ask ourselves or that we as a church ask when it comes to, to like what we do? Does this set some boundaries on, on what we do and how we do things? I'm curious what you think about that. Should the gospel affect how I lead this church? Yes. I'm glad somebody said yes. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Okay. But incredible confidence. Okay. Sure. So we, we have a hope. This goes back to that sort of ING statement up in 1 Corinthians. We have a hope that God is present and working in our lives. Even more than hope. We have a promise. Promise, yeah. 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 Yep. I read your mind there. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty old. <laughs> Authenticity you bring up here, which is also true, that, that uh, that's sort of a byproduct of, um, of the gospel, and that is actually one of our it's not a concrete value, but it is one of the ways we gauge the health of community, part of our discipleship pathway, gospel, community, and mission. So we are looking to see what types of relationships form in rooms like this, at coffee tables and community groups or whatever. There, there does need to be some level of, of binding or relationship that comes out of uh, the community of faith, the church, as we all pursue this this. Uh, this gospel. So absolutely, there, there's a strong relational aspect to this. Oh, we won't touch that today, but we will in a couple, in a couple of weeks. So what else? How, what, um, what would you say? Like, what, what is a question we should ask ourselves? What's, what's the driving question if we are trying to make a decision, whether it's our own decision or, the, or a decision that really honors Jesus? Can you, can you think of or maybe summarize what a good value question would be as you think about what your life and what this church looks like in Jesus. Okay, so that, you know, that definitely was a, a strong movement many years ago, and the premise of it was pretty sound. It, it, it was trying to discuss uh, what Jesus would do. The challenge with that, well, the only thing I would say here is that um, that 
I actually think fueled some of the moralism in the Christian faith. And by that, I simply mean when we look to what Jesus did, uh, you can very easily uh, you can very easily just see him as a functional example of what God wants. And that is one aspect he absolutely perfectly displays in every word and every deed the way God wants the world to work. But the challenge with the, the WWJD movement, this is just my opinion, was that some people saw that and then they said, I can't do that. Like, how do I do that? Like, I really, like what Paul would say, I, would, I, I, want, to, uh, I want to live this way. Or I want to have the mind of Jesus in this area, but I have a hard time with it. And so this is where we look to Jesus as an example, but we also have to remember we have the full support of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be more than just an example of what Jesus did. We literally, with the Holy Spirit in us, we are, we are bringing Jesus to the world. So, yes, I don't want to undermine that, but it definitely is a, a place of analysis that I think is, is critical. What about, what about practicality? Does, does how we spend money or the type of mission we do, the type of work we do in the community, does the gospel affect that? I mean, like, would, would you guys be okay if I, like, if I said, all of you look at your benches right now, right? I can't believe I'm saying this. I feel like I went to school for an elementary education degree. If you look at your benches, there are numbers under you, right? Okay, one, one, two, three, this is all for the distancing when kids come in school. I've most noticed most of you are bunched up on benches. What would happen if I said, Part of Restoration's new thing is number 27, and if you're number 27, I give you the brand new keys to a, to a new car every week. You think we'd have a lot of people showing up on the weekend? <laughs> Completely, right? Right? Our, our emergency savings would provide three new cars, okay? So that would work for about a month, and then after that, we're going to be bankrupt. D- does, does understanding the gospel deeply, does it, should it, let me end with this, should it cause us to say, like, not, not what works, I'm not against what works, but is what works the best question? Or is the best question to say like, is what I'm about to do, what we want to do, what we want to become, does this truly honor Jesus? Does, when we look to him, is this something that, that would please him? Is this something that, that we want to perpetuate when we think about the reproductive nature of the gospel, that we, we want to share it? Our lives, our deeds, our words, our actions, our investments as a church family, is what we are about to do or what we are doing is this something that actually um, honors God? And I think that that is the best way. Not, that's the best way to find out what works. Um, because what we, what we want to avoid, especially as a church, at a time when things are changing rapidly in the world, what we don't want to do is react in such a way where we, we, we are constantly, you know, sort of chasing a moving target of what we think is going to help people uh, love or grow in the grace of Jesus. So what we want to do is know personally what the love and the grace of Jesus is, to be able to live that out through, through word and deed. And so I would argue strongly that the foundation of our faith uh, is the gospel. It's understanding the gospel. And there is no area of our lives that the gospel, that, that we are permitted to separate it from, although we absolutely can do so. The desire is that we grow in the grace of the gospel. So that means our time, it means our money, it means our thoughts. It means what we what we do with um, what we do with everything. If we truly believe that Jesus is the redeemer of our lives, then what that means is everything in our lives is subject to the input of Jesus, and that is what, in large part, it means to to believe the gospel. It's to be in meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, recognizing what He's done for us, 
and then doing our best for all of our days to follow him, uh, being encouraged by him in the days when we, when we fail him, but knowing that that does not compromise his love for us, and certainly not getting to the place where we think that because of what we do, he does love us. It's ironic that the, no Christian that I know would say that God loves me because of what I do, but a lot of Christians functionally live this way. Uh, when, they, when they fail or make a mistake or they don't hit the marks they're trying to in life, they really do feel like God has transgressed them. And, uh, and that is something also to be mindful of. The, the gospel sort of insulates us from two over extremes uh, or two very radical extremes about how we function and carry ourselves in the world. So with that said, um, there's a lot more I could say today, um, but I would say I think today, perhaps more than ever, we have a responsibility to not only proclaim but exemplify the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so two or three minutes, a couple of questions. If you guys have any, I'd love to answer them. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up. You're allowed to disagree too, that's okay. <laughs> If not, I mean, if I have thoroughly impressed you and wowed you off your feet, we can leave early. But I certainly don't want you to feel like you, uh, you cannot ask a question here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the, the, the best... The best example is the, the prodigal son. That's probably the, one of the clearest examples as far as a, a metaphor that Jesus uses um, to, to explain the gospel. Because there you actually have, you, you have an equality in the love of the father. Uh, you, have one who, you have one son who is completely defiant um, and gets an inheritance, and another son is completely obedient and gets an inheritance. And both of them, one in their rampant compliance and one in their raw disobedience, they both misunderstand the love and the nature of the Father. And so uh, I think that that is probably one of the best biblical texts that, that sort of shows how we have to be mindful about the fact that like, the guy that did all the right stuff like was furious that the, the, the son that failed received the mercy of grace. D.A. Carson writes about this. He calls it the scandal of grace. There is something that kicks against our goads when we hear stories like that until you recognize that like that younger brother we too are sinners and may we never receive the hard fist of god you know storytelling music siri just told me i don't have any storytelling music so uh i'm sorry i meant to bring some for you today but anybody else have this problem like i'm completely muted but my watch just talks sometimes so maybe maybe i'll sing a special for you all now there's the mic there you go uh great question any other questions Okay, well then a couple of closing uh, comments. Uh, keep in mind the, those connection cards, uh, take those with you. If you think about this, we, we want you to process this throughout the week. Our groups will discuss this as the week goes on, our community groups. But uh, don't think this is the only time that you can have a question uh, about particularly what we're talking about here or anything else. So make sure you know that 
um, the end of this roughly hour we spend together, it's not the end of our time as a church family, it is the beginning of the way we conduct ourselves and carry ourselves in the world. And we are here for you in any way that we, uh, that we can be. For those of you that are gospel partners, whether you're sitting here or there, I thank you for your continued generosity and support of restoration. I want to encourage you to keep, uh, to keep that up. If you are visiting or in any other category, we encourage you to do as the Lord leads. You can take, if you're online uh, or in here, there's a myriad of ways you can communicate with us and give. You can give through the Giving Towers. You can give online. You can communicate to us through those cards and certainly email or call uh, the office. There's a multitude of ways, both sort of physical, if you're here, that you can communicate with us and, uh, and digital that you can do the same thing. And I, I really do want to encourage you to to not let this be a period in your life, to let what we've discussed today begin a new conversation that you have with yourself, God, and prayerfully the other men and women in your life who love Christ about what the gospel is and how significant it is uh, to see it as the truth of, it's the truth of, of uttermost importance. That's what Paul says. It's the truth that defines all other truths. Everything must be sifted and sorted through the gospel. He renders it of first importance. And so we should do our best to carry the same type of uh, respect for that truth because it cost our Jesus his life. And I think that that merits some, some head, heart, and hands thoughts. So um, in a moment, I'll pray for us. Or actually, why don't I do what we normally do? And that is I'll close this in prayer and then give you a quick benediction here because we do believe that's an important part of our life as a church family. Uh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for this time we've had together to worship you through song to experience you through friendship and relationship, uh, to hopefully meet some people or to be encouraged or to be an encourager. We thank you for the opportunity um, that you've provided us here, as irregular as it has been over the past six months, to resume the gathering of our body. And so we do thank you, Father, for your ever-present grace and mercy and uh, just your faithfulness to, to provide us a place to, to be together. And I do thank you, God, for this truth, this gospel, of which we have been saved by, and it is a, a truth that can illuminate our hearts when they are dark. It is a truth, Father, that can correct the, the thoughts of our minds that might seek to devalue ourselves, God. We, we at times might even have places where we think less of ourselves than, than you actually see us. You give us hope, God, in the places where we are without it, and you certainly, God, give us loving and necessary correction in the places where where we have to move towards your gospel in deeper ways. And so we thank you for both sides of that, uh, of that truth. And we just ask, I ask, that every single one of us that entered this place today, that we would leave um, a little bit more in love with your son Christ, uh, with a little bit more of a desire um, to pursue and to know him deeply and to live out of the overflow of your love and your goodness and your grace in the world that you have uh, set us apart to be in. And so we thank you for this time this morning. I pray that you would bless all of these words and every single person who is either online or in this room. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this week as you go, remember, um, if you're in Jesus, you carry with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a flashlight in the darkness, and I pray the world would see that wherever you go. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>